At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's up all? Aaron, but not that Aaron here to tell you about Sifpop Writer's Room. For the past several years, there have been a growing amount of writers for Sifpop.com providing best ever challenges, movie reviews, themes, legacies, connections, and so much more. Sifpop Writer's Room is where that all comes together, giving a voice to those words that you read. And on the show, every week is excellent getting to chat such a wide variety of movies with a wide variety of movie lovers, and I'm really having a lot of fun with the show, and I just think that you would too. So check out Sifpop Writer's Room wherever you listen to your podcast, and we'll see you over there. Just remember to knock first. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that's 10, but our voice is going on 40, it's Sifpop. Welcome to Sifpop Weekly, streaming live most weekends or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron, patrons get those perks. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and each week we'll chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome back our guest this week. If you say his name five times into a microphone, he'll suddenly appear on your podcast. It's T.T. Sternenzi! All right, here I am. (laughs) That's your Candyman impersonation? Nicely done. Nicely done. Uh, Thank you, TT, for being on the the show this week. Um, Excited to talk these movies with you. We're going to chat about Candyman, obviously, uh, out this weekend. Um, And then also Respect that has been out for uh, a couple of weeks. We haven't got a chance to talk about it on the show yet. Uh, so I thought we might chat about that too. Um, how have you been, man? How's life? How are things? Groovy, groovy, groovy. Yeah, that's that's all. It, you know what? Hey, we're we're here. We're doing our thing. I I have been in theaters now more than I have been obviously in the, the last yeah. year and a half. So I'm I'm actually appreciating the experience of being back in theaters, even though I'm watching movies at times and they're usually only like you know there's less than 10 people in a, in a theater at a time mm-hmm. but you know that's kind of like going to a press screening so it's 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 great in that way yeah yeah definitely. Um, yeah but I, I i love being back kind of in the in the temple of cinema 
And it's, yeah, it makes you realize what, what we've been missing over the last year and a half. I agree. It, it's been, man, it's an, it continues to be an interesting conversation because who knows what the future holds. And I think in many ways, what we have experienced and continue to experience will inform as a like uh, as a larger body what we see for the future, like what we're comfortable with, what um, mm-hmm. what will movie theaters be like, like all that stuff are ongoing conversations. I really do enjoy the communal movie experience. Um, I you know I enjoy it like you maybe more with a uh, you know a crowd of twelve, uh, especially right now, than I do with a crowd of uh, you know seventy five to a hundred. You know, right. Um, but it's this interesting conversation because I do hear people being like, "Oh, you know, theaters can never die." And while I'm totally on team, don't go away theaters. There is something where it's like, you know, actually my movie watching experience is probably better at home than it is at most theaters. Like, you know, I I feel like Uh there's a little bit of elitism that can sneak into my opinion sometimes where it's like, yeah, but if you're if you're going to your local AMC, it's not exactly a great movie going experience all always. Um, Right. And because, uh, you know, whether it be staffing, projectionists, um, you know, not understanding brightness of the bulb, like whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it can be, a lot of these experiences, you know, aren't as great as me sitting in front of my OLED television where the brightness is just incredible and the definition. And right. um, so, yeah, I think it will be fascinating to see how everything continues to play out, the day and date stuff, what kind mm-hmm. of release window. um, there's a lot of that story still to be told in the next five years. and um, Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And you know what? And I'm feeling the same way even on the festival side. Because sure. as much as I appreciate the experience of, you know, going to a city that I love, maybe like Toronto and seeing films during the festival in that city, I'm, I'm doing Toronto virtually this year. And as a matter of fact, outside of the festival that we did here in Cincinnati, Ohio in July, I have been to South by Southwest two years now virtually. I I did Sundance virtually this year. And I have to say, I've never been that thrilled about the idea of going to Park City, Utah in January in the first place. Mm -hmm. But but they created such an impeccable virtual experience where I could download, you know, their app and South by Southwest did the same thing. I've got their apps on my Apple TV. I watch films either from my living room or from my bedroom. You're right. Mm-hmm. I, I can control the brightness. I can do all this stuff and I can see these films, you know, at home, comfortable, relaxed, mm-hmm. not at, having stood in lines in the cold and in Park right. City. Like, why would I want to want to go through that that part <laughs> of the experience just right. to see the film? Like there's there's some give and take in there. And I think it's fascinating. I think there will always be people who will want to go to those major festivals. So in that way, much like theaters, I'm not sure they're completely going to go away. No, I don't think but, so. But there's an audience now. And again, we've proven that we can provide an experience for those audiences virtually that while it may not be comparable to the in-person experience, it can give people the sense of being there without having to actually physically be in the mm-hmm. space. Yeah. And that that means a lot. That accessibility is really important, and I think that's going to change. That's going to be a change moving forward that we will we will have to incorporate into everything that we do. Yeah, and that's that's exciting, actually. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. 
Um, well, let's get into it. We've got a couple movies to review here. We're going to do a uh, best ever challenge, uh, a really fun one uh, this week. We're doing Wayans family movies. Uh, there are a lot of Wayans in the industry, <laughs> and we're going to talk about our, our best ever movies that a Wayans has been in. And then, of course, we'll do some buried treasure uh, as well. Uh, so, yeah, let's get into it and chat a little bit about Candyman. This is where it all began. The story of Candyman. Local character, he'd walk around handing out candy to the neighborhood kids. One day, a couple of kids get razor blades in their candy. Police come around. That's when I saw the true face of fear. Get on your knees. Hands, hands, hands. They beat him, tortured him, killed him right there on the spot. A couple weeks later, more razor blades and more candy. He's been innocent. So he's real? Candyman ain't a he. Candyman's the whole damn hive. Anthony and his partner move into a loft in the now gentrified Cabrini. After a chance encounter with an old timer exposes Anthony to the true story behind Candyman, he unknowingly opens a door to a complex past that unravels his own sanity and unleashes a terrifying wave of violence. Uh, TT, I'm going to let you start with some of your background on the original Candyman. Like, uh, before we even get into talking about this Candyman, uh, tell me about your experience with this character, the original movie, all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I have seen all three of the Candyman films with Tony Todd. Uh, the first one, of course, is the one that I I feel like I, like everybody else saw the most, Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, it's, he's in it, Virginia Madsen. Uh, again, that was the, that was the, the real scare and the real shock. And it was fascinating to think that back in 1992, we had the opportunity to have a horror film that was able to explore these elements of horror, but also the social commentary that was involved in that as well. We mm-hmm. You know, we're acting in to a certain extent like this this 2021 version of this is the first time that we've been getting the social commentary. Right, yeah. so it's like, wait a minute, no, nah, 20, you know, 28, what, 29 years ago. Yeah, we got it in that film too. Mm-hmm. It just it just has a deeper and different kind of resonance today based on the the you know, the 2020 that we went through. Mm-hmm. So yes, it, it is more powerful and more meaningful to us and more in our faces in this in this time now, but it was there in ninety-two. Um and I love the idea that you have an opportunity to kind of reintroduce Tony Todd, even though he didn't really need to be reintroduced. We've still seen him in horror films outside of the Candyman films. He was in you know, the final destination films as well. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's always kind of been hovering in the background. Um, but yes, to give him another chance to shine as well, because he's one of those people. And I did a horrible vocal. It wasn't even an impersonation. It was just, <laughs> it was a butchering of what he does. It was an homage. It was an homage. <laughs> but his, his voice within this genre is as powerful as the idea to, in some cases of like James Earl Jones is Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. It's, it's at that level. And again, yeah, it's like, that's to be able to, to kind of come back to that and be reminded of the power 
of that film and what he was able to do. And again, even to a certain, to a lesser extent than this two sequels that came after that, um, this is a great way to, to reintroduce things. I think, um, we'll, we'll get into the specifics of it a little bit more, but yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the, that's the easy and obvious starting point for this. My experience, uh, with Candyman started with this movie. Uh, I didn't, I'm not a horror person, so I didn't watch any of the original Candyman movies. Um, I only within the last, I'm going to say five years, um, realized what a social commentary the original Candyman was. Um, It was not something I was aware of. um, And, you know, that's my own ignorance. That's my own unawareness. uh, And I was uh, interested to see it at that point. Um, And so, you know, it's only been within the last few years that I've even become aware of kind of, mm-hmm. you know, this movie and story and its connection to um, racial politics, those kind of things. Uh, and so going into this was uh, was interesting for me because it's kind of my first experience with this character and um, this mythology, the world that's here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about uh, Candyman 2021. Uh, what do you think, TT? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? You know, it's it's been difficult for me to to place how, what I feel and how I feel about this film on that continuum because I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and like say it I I like it. Okay. You know, it's it's a solid like, um, but there are so many ways and things that it could have done to give me more that would have pushed me further into that that love it range because I wanted I think I came into it wanting to be in the love it range. Yeah. Yeah, and and I I spent the entire runtime watching it like okay, ooh, I'm not really where I thought I was going to be. I you know there are great elements like the shadow puppetry mm-hmm. that you see as the way of retelling the story and kind of setting up this idea of the urban legends and the mythology and that artistic meaning and rendering of that meaning was powerful stuff. Yeah, I completely loved that element of things um i liked some of the some of the work they were doing with talking about art and gentrification and those elements those social and artistic elements that were part of it too i was captivated by some of that but at the end of the day i think that the stump the major stumbling block that i have with the film is is just that in trying to be as faithful as they could to the original story and then moving it forward and placing it within a contemporary context, they added other story elements to it as well. And I feel like they, they didn't completely develop some of those elements. Like mm-hmm. for instance, Anthony's girlfriend, Tiana Paris, you know, and her background, you know, with her father being an artist who ends up killing himself and she, and, and the idea of her dealing with the grief of losing her father and what mm-hmm. that meant and the, and the horror of losing her father and the way that she, she sees him mm-hmm. commit suicide. You know, I was like, okay, well, yeah, there's, there's a great backstory there that could connect to some of these other pieces that they're talking about, but they, they didn't quite weave it all together as well as I, as I kind of wanted them to. So they were, they were those kinds of missed opportunities that were kind of like, wow, okay, yeah, if you had done more with that, you know, the idea of Candyman and, you know, 
say say his name and saying it five times and bringing him out and how they tied that into the lost black lives along mm-hmm. the way. Yeah. Again, that's another one of those opportunities. You're like, well, yeah, her father was one of those lost lives along the way. And I'm not even sure. And again, I've only seen the movie once at this stage, but I'm not even sure we even hear her father's name mentioned in the film. Yeah, and, I don't and, either. and in my mind, I'm kind of like, wow, that's again, that's a part of that missed opportunity. Like if you're going to try to focus on people that are gone and remembering them and the power of memory, yeah, you've got to, you've got to tie those things together. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a like it and I, I'm, I want to love it. But again, because it didn't do some of those things for me, I can't, I can't fully give it the love that I wanted to give it. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for going ahead and giving uh, my review uh, of this movie. I felt the exact same way. Uh, I think I, I really have struggled with whether I'm landing in the high side of it was just okay or the low side of liked it. And I'm going to go with the low side of liked it just for all of the reasons you're talking about. Um, because the, the important stuff in this movie is important and the movie is not... It's not shy about its themes. In fact, a couple times, possibly even borders on being a little didactic, uh, a mm-hmm. little too upfront, yes. a little too forward. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still important stuff, and it's still valuable stuff. And and there are some really beautiful things going on here. And I don't just mean thematically. I you know, there's the visuals in this movie. Um, you know, you mentioned the shadow puppets and and those kind of things. I even think just some of the camera work is really, really nice mm-hmm. here. Um, the the audio design is also yes. really cool in this movie. Um, and you talk about things you probably won't experience at home. That's one of them. Audio is still mm-hmm. one of those things where there's nothing yes. like sitting in, you know, uh, whatever kind of surround theater you're in, whether it be Dolby or, or whatever, um, and experiencing that. So there's a lot to like here. But at the end of the day, you're exactly right. The For me, the story felt so almost on the surface and incomplete in mm-hmm. many ways that I don't think it does service to the bigger things it's trying to do. And, um, and if you strip all of that away, if you strip all of the, uh, the social consciousness away, which you can't, I'm not saying that's something we should do, mm-hmm. but I'm saying if you do, it's really kind of a pretty basic story that actually has a somewhat confusing ending. I'm like, if you just, you know, as a, as a horror movie, even, which again, I'm not Mm -hmm. a horror movie fan. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure I understood just the mechanics of the plot. You know what I mean? Like there's a, I, I, I get a lot of this stuff. Like I get, um, you know, some of the, um, you know, again, the story and the the mythology element of it. Like, I get how that stuff is happening, but by the time you get to the end, um, especially with the final reveal, I'm just going, wait, what is, how did that, why did, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not sure I get it. I'm not sure I understand the plot uh, as much as I do obviously understand what the movie is trying to say. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because, yeah, and and I'm going to, kind of go off the idea that you've mentioned that you haven't seen the original. Yes, correct. So, yeah, there there is a whole connection that Anthony has to the original film that 
once you learn that and then you get to the end, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of confusion about, well, what, mm-hmm. what is his role? How does he, how is he fulfilling this, this role that he has in both of these films? And what does it mean? Um, that I'm not sure that the two films taken together provide the, the real answer. And again, that means that if together they don't, if you're just watching this, this film mm-hmm. solo, it doesn't, it doesn't exactly hold up all that well on its own either. So yeah, once you start really looking at it and analyzing it within the world that it's trying to, to extend, it, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really hold up and doesn't make sense. It felt to me very much like one of those movies that has that final moment and it wants it to be an exclamation point and it just felt like a question mark. You know, like I, right. I, I was, I was much more confused and, um, befuddled than I was, you know, amazed or impressed by that ending. And, um, and at the end of the day, that's not a great thing. That's not, that's not how I, at least it's personally not how I want to be left, um, you know, from a movie. So, yeah, uh, so, I got, I got a question for you then. Yeah. Uh, cause I've seen, you know, if, uh, obviously having seen it now and talked about it this morning on Fox 19 and talking about it here with you, I've seen some other reviews and, and heard other people talk about it. And I'm wondering, based on what you've seen, do you feel that this film is at at its end trying to set up a sequel? Uh, no, my honest answer is no. I, I didn't feel sequel baited. I, I it wasn't like I felt mm-hmm. like oh okay you're trying to. I just felt like, um, and I think I understood quote unquote the reference. Like I th- like I think even mm-hmm. not having seen the others, like I I think I understood on a practical level what's going on my my confusion in discomfort was more in like but what does that mean like like i I couldn't figure out how it related to the story i just saw and any kind of uh story investment or momentum that i had with the characters and you know like what i wanted from them what i wanted for them the ending made me go i'm i'm not not only am, uh, did the movie not seem to, uh, you know, give me what I wanted, which movies don't have to do that, like, you know, mm-hmm. but not only did it not give me what I wanted, I'm not sure what it gave me. And so, like, right. there's there's a confusion of maybe mm-hmm. it did give me what I wanted and I just don't know. Like, I just it, it was a little befuddling to me. Um, and maybe I just needed explained to me and maybe I'm 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 missing something and. Maybe we should do a uh, a sift spoil on this one. Maybe after we're done uh, with the episode, you and I can uh, chat a little bit about the ending of this movie. Because um, maybe you can help me out a little bit. But I I did. I just I kind of was confused. So yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not sure that I. I mean, yeah, on the practical aspect of things, yes, I I do understand where it ends. But yeah, you're right. That kind of the why of it is is still eluding me. Mm-hmm. Um, And again, as I've been reading people who are kind of saying, well, yeah, you know what, this film is basically setting it, you know, setting up a world and a sequel. And I was kind of like, but I'm not really sure that I understand where it goes from here. Yeah. And I think that's the issue. If you don't understand the ending and what the ending means now, then you don't you don't really have a place to move forward because you're kind of like, well, but what what this yeah like if i I'm, I'm still stuck with what it means right yeah. now yeah so because i'm stuck here i can't imagine advancing it forward yeah i just yeah i exactly that is exactly right um 
Let's talk about performances, uh, some of the the performances in the movie, because I feel like that is another uh, part of this movie that was worth lauding. You know, there's there's some mm-hmm. really good stuff going on here. Um, uh, Yaya uh, Abdul-Mateen uh, II is great. Uh, I absolutely love him in this. Coleman Domingo doesn't know how to be anything but great. Uh, he is <laughs> yes. like he just shows up. And he's great. Uh, so, yeah. And you mentioned Tiana uh, Paris as well. Um, I'll, just all around, I thought the cast in this was was really, really good. Did you agree? I I do. I totally agree. Except. 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 And this is a curious exception for me because I, as much as I love, you know, Yaya and Tiana together, I'm not sure that I got the sort of that charge of them as a couple together. And that's, mm-hmm. that was another one of those missing elements for me. Like I, I was looking forward to the idea of them being this, this creative arts based kind of couple and feeling the spark mm-hmm. between them. And, you know, their, their scenes are, are together are, are strong, but there's no, there's no erotic kind of charge to it. And I feel like sometimes the best horror also always plays around with with that eroticism and and it was missing in this case and i was kind of like wow that's that again it's another missed opportunity like yeah there would have been a little extra edge and incentive and tension in there if we had felt more of that uh so that's the only slight that i will give on the performance side and i'm not sure that that's necessarily their fault i think they did exactly what you know the the film and the story needed them to do, but I just wanted that extra bit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that extra bit will come out just naturally. And, but like I said, it didn't in this case. And it was kind of like, well, yeah, if it's not going to come out naturally, then there's so, there needs to be a hand there that helps to steer that and create that tension. And it was just missing in this case. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, you know, I had much more fun is maybe the wrong word. I don't know, but I was much more interested and compelled by her relationship with her brother than I was her mm-hmm. relationship with her, her husband and which, uh, Nathan Stewart Jarrett, uh, is the, the one who played, uh, the brother character. And, um, and yeah, I think that that is speaking to something that's missing in, in that relationship. And I don't, I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know if, because again, because I don't quite understand the ending, I'm wondering if like, you know, mm. what is the point of that relationship? Are we supposed to like them together? Are we supposed to not like right. them together? I'm just not sure. And um, at the end of the day, I know that I, I wasn't completely sold on their relationship, um, but I did kind of like them together. They were fun. They were, you know, yeah. um, they they both seem like, uh, you know, there's a party scene early on in the movie and I was just like, yeah, I want to hang out at that party that, you know, that seems like mm-hmm. a cool crew to hang out with. Um, but, um, but yeah, so again, the ending leaves me in a place where like, I'm not sure what the movie is intending with their relationship and right. what that's supposed to mean to us, uh, when we get to the end. So, yeah. 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 Uh, I think I've pretty much covered everything I kind of wanted to mention. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about with, uh, with Candyman? No, 2021? no, I, I, I think that's it outside of, again, you know, some sort of post spoiler conversation, which again, I'm not even sure what we would get out of that. But yeah, I think out at this stage, we've probably hit all of those big glaring mm-hmm. kinds, kinds of ideas and topics that are, that are right there waiting for us to dig into. Yeah. 
Uh, super, super excited to see whatever Nia DaCosta does next. I, I don't think this mm-hmm. is, you know, I didn't come away from this going, um, you know, this is a, a director issue. Um, this, this to me felt like more of a, uh, a story, uh, overall issue, mm-hmm. um, for the things that I didn't like about it. So, and again, with some of the visual flares and the audio design and the way the movie is put together, uh, and some of the performances uh, that she gets out of the actors. Um, yeah, I'm definitely interested in seeing what comes next uh, from Nia. Well, the Marvels. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, with, with, with Tiana again. So, you know, hopefully the idea that we've seen, they've had the opportunity to work together. Yeah, there's going to be some, you know, something that they will bring from this experience to that film that will be an extra extra bit of a spark that will help push that along too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's some thoughts on Candyman. Um, Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about respect. How is Aretha doing? Aretha's doing all right. Just all right. Singing is sacred. And you shouldn't do it just because somebody wants you to. What's most important is that you are treated with dignity and respect. You're special, Ray. You have a talent they call genius. You Think about trying to do to me. How old is she? She's 10, but her voice is going on 30, honey. The rise of Aretha Franklin's career from a child singing in her father's church's choir to her international superstardom. Uh, that is... Quite a bit of ground to cover, and the movie attempts to cover it all. Uh, let's talk a little bit uh, about this one. TT, did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Yeah, this that one was, was a big just, sigh. That was a big this, sigh, TT. <laughs> it was, it was, and I'm I'm in the just okay zone with this, mm-hmm. which feels like this is either the friend zone or like you're kissing your cousin <laughs> kind of thing, and. And I'm I'm always uncomfortable when I feel this way about a film, but yeah, I'm I'm firmly just like okay, yeah, I saw it, and it wasn't the worst thing, so I'm not going there. But it's just like I'm just not I'm not sure I, and this is going to sound strange to say, but I'm not sure I understand this film, and maybe that's my <laughs> problem with it. I'm I just don't to, understand it. I'm excited to get into that. Uh, I am with you in the just okay category. Um, oh, wow. I, boy, did I want to like this. I love Jennifer Hudson, and, and she is incredible in this. Um, and at the end of the day, I guess I would just say, for me, this movie just tries to do too much. It just, it like, I've really enjoyed biopics recently that have focused on like a month or a year of, you know, uh, a historical figures past and used that as a way to define them. Um, and there, they can, there can still be flashbacks and those Uh kind of things. Um, but there's just something about a straightforward, we're going to start as a young girl and we're going to just follow the entire life of this person, all the ups and downs, all the way to the end. That is, it's a little too, um, uh, there's a little too much. There's just a, there's a little, it, 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 it loses the ability for me to really find those thematic footholds that make this stuff go to the next level. And 
it's it's unfortunate because again, great performance, incredible singing. I mean, nobody can be Aretha on respect. Uh, you know, that is iconic in a way that can't be matched, but she's still doing incredible stuff uh, as Jennifer Hudson uh, with her voice. So, um, but yeah, talk to me, TT. What, what did you find missing in this one? Yeah. You know, and, and I think you're right. We, we have been, you know, pampered in a way because we've gotten some of these, these biopics that, that kind of know that, okay, yeah, we don't need the full span of someone's life and their experience to, to get a sense of who they are. We can capture moments. We can spotlight, you know, a particular period um, of struggle or whatever that leads to a triumph that, that comes to define this person. And with a title like Respect, I find it fascinating that, you know, the idea of the creation of that song happens kind of in the middle of the film mm-hmm. and yeah and you're kind of like okay well okay yeah i i get that but then at some point it's kind of like well what's the point of the rest of this mm-hmm. and by not not narrowing the focus when it does finally end you know the the thing that got me is and i i saw this with my wife and i remember leaning over to her and i was kind of like well yeah, I, you know, we just got to see Amazing, you know, Amazing Grace from Sidney Pollack just a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I love that that exists as a document that we can now all watch mm-hmm. and appreciate. And I'm kind of like, but why did this film stop there? What was the point of, of this film saying, okay, well, this is, this is the mark that we don't want to cross in her life. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing in the film that, that gives you any kind of, understanding for why that period that was the 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 climax of the story and it's kind of like okay well yeah you could have just ended this film anywhere yeah you know and because of that then all of a sudden i'm like well yeah this this story does it, it loses some of its impact on me as as a viewer because it's just like well i don't know that they really they they had a sense of the sto- the story about aretha that they wanted to tell yeah yeah and I- if you yeah, if you want to tell everything, yeah, this isn't the way to tell everything because you're not going to be able to tell everything in a two or two and a half hour film anyway. So what's, again, what's the, kind of like, what's the point of that? Yeah, what is the point of what you want to say? And once you know that, it helps inform the moments that you emphasize, the order you put them in, and it helps emphasize the smaller group of characters that you're able to develop more fully. That was the other thing mm-hmm. about this movie is I'm going through it and everything around Aretha seemed paper thin. You know, all of the, you know, e- even the key figures in her life, um, mm-hmm. with maybe the exception of her dad, maybe was a little more developed. But even that, the just, you know... The Marlon Wayans character, um, you know, is such a huge part of who she is and what the movie's telling us about her. But just seemed like a a, a, a real, you know, two dimensional kind of paper thin kind of thing going on. And I don't think it's a performance thing. I really think it's a a result of the movie trying to do too much, trying to have you know too many players um, do too many things, uh, you know, and and, and maybe. Maybe there is a performance element to it. I know, you know, my favorite uh, of the surrounding cast was probably Titus Burgess. I I really mm-hmm. liked that character. Um, there was something complex uh, about that character, uh, that character's role in the church, and uh, and also that performance that I really really enjoyed. And I think maybe has uh, 
the heart and soul conversation of the movie, um, you know, sure. there towards the end. So I did enjoy that, but but then everything else just seemed either paper thin or, um, you know, a, a little bit melodramatic. And I think right. I think that just that happens in a, a movie that just tries to do this much. And um, I really do think most of this movie's problems comes down to the f- uh, fact that it just it tried to tell the entire life story of Aretha Franklin. And I think we could have gotten a better sense of what was meaningful about this this career, this woman, um, by focusing in. Uh, which is counterintuitive, I know, but I think I think you can get a fuller sense of someone by focusing clearer on a on a smaller um, canvas than Uh-oh. you know trying to zoom out and see the in, the entire thing. And um, and yeah, I, I that was that was where where the movie failed for me overall. Yeah, yeah, you know, you're right. I I mean, and just to pull one period or one moment out of this film that they could have used to focus on like the whole muscle shoals segment. Sure. When she finally goes down there and she's like, okay, I need to get away from, you know, the, the staleness of, you know, the New York studio. I need to, to, to work with some different musicians to get, you know, that if, if they had just focused on that period, you would have gotten, you would have gotten a lot of those other elements that we that we saw in the film. They all would have been condensed. They would have been in that space. And you know that you would have walked away with, okay, yeah, she created great music during that period. Mm-hmm. And we could have just said, that's it. That's the that's the place to focus on. And you would have had the, the dynamic with her husband there. So the Marlon Wayans character would have had more than enough opportunity to shine mm-hmm. and develop and become potentially a more three-dimensional kind of figure. Yeah. And yeah, again, it was just like there were there were some performance elements in there that were really cool, but they got lost in again sort of the misdirection of the entire film. There's I think the movie is trying to I, I really do think the movie is trying to center in on the respect idea and the idea that Aretha's life was full of these mostly men who defined who she was. And, um, you know, took, you know, tried to have control over her creative ideas, you know, everything. And that it, it wasn't, it was a long journey towards self-actualization for, you know, Aretha. I think this is what the movie is, is trying to, to, you know, convey to us. But if that is the major theme, then I think we, we need, we don't need every single horrible man in her life you know whether it be and i say horrible man that's a that's a very um you know judgmental way to say it but what i mean to say mm-hmm. is you know uh, control the controlling men that the movie is showing us we don't need every piece of all of that you know we need uh, we could use one of those as a stand-in for you know the story right. of her life and center the the completion of the movie and i don't even just mean the finale but like the the big uh, moment of the movie, the climax of the movie around the realization, that self-actualization um, uh, that that she can have when, you know, she sings respect or, you know, whatever the whatever you want to make it in the movie, um, you know, find that moment to build us to and be like, yes, Aretha, be you, do you like, you know, and I just didn't feel like we ever got that in this movie, even though that's what the movie is trying to say. I never felt really that big moment of 
kind of character release where I was like, um, you know, yes, you know, like I just, I didn't, I didn't really have that here. I had a few yes moments with some of the songs where I'm like, yes, I love that. You know, that track is amazing, you know, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was lacking the, the character arc, um, which, you know, sometimes biopics get dinged because they play fast and loose with reality in a way that emphasizes a character arc. And I get that but I kind of prefer it too. Like I'm there to see a movie, right. not necessarily a documentary. Um, so, right. Yeah. Right. And I know that's a, you know, that is a tight wire, right? Like, you know, you change mm-hmm. things too much and all of a sudden you're uh, hindering the, the ability for it really to, to ring solid. Um, so yeah. yeah, but I needed more yeah. of that in this, I think. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I definitely needed more of that. And again, I, I, I feel like I know where we're headed next and it's, it's funny because in terms of talking about the performances, which is, again, like I said, I think that's where we're headed. You spoke at the beginning of this about how much you loved Jennifer Hudson's performance. Yes, I and really do. I, I went into this not necessarily expecting a lot out of the performance other than knowing that she's going to give us a great vocal performance. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I wasn't completely sold on her acting. Sure. And yet... One of the things that did work for me really well is that, yeah, she did come across as through that acting performance when when she's not singing, there is still enough power and meaning behind what she's trying to convey to us that Mm -hmm. I got it in ways that I have felt that she's been flat in other roles. Yeah. So I was I was completely impressed by that. And again, one of the, the counterpoints for me in that is. Mary J. Blige has, you know, basically a cameo appearance in mm-hmm. this film. And, you know, she and she and, you know, Jennifer Hudson kind of are in the in my mind working in the same kind of realm because they're they're women who were are known for the, you know, their vocal stylings and what they can do. And yet I walk away from every performance that Mary has given on screen and I'm like, wow, she's she's got that it thing mm-hmm. as a yeah. performer too. Yeah. She's, she's able to give you something, something grittier or something real in those characters. And she does it here too. And I, up until this film, I had not seen that from Jennifer Hudson, but now I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, Jennifer's got it too. And I'm, I, and I'm glad that she's got it because that means that she's going to get more opportunities and she'll be in roles where we won't focus on the idea that we're supposed to be coming to this to see her saying, Right. And that, yeah, we'll be excited to say, yeah, I want to see what kind of performance she's going to give us. Because that's exactly what I got out of this from Mary. Because Mary doesn't sing at all, but I love seeing her in the film. Yeah. Yeah. The the scene where she basically shames Aretha off the stage. And then, like, the maybe one of my favorite moments of the movie, because there's this interesting thing that happens where... Um, you think at that point, like, I mean, obviously you, you just feeling like, oh, they're mortal enemies, you know, like they're mm-hmm. like, you know, they are rivals and rivals is actually probably the better term for it. Um, right. And then then it cuts back to, you know, backstage and in the dressing room and they have this moment and you're like, oh, they're not bitter enemies. They are rivals. And, and in that rivalry rivalry, there's also respect and there's also mm-hmm. respect is the name of the movie. Uh, there's also <laughs> there's also respect, and there's also the the desire to teach and to inform right. and to grow and evolve each other. And 
Uh, I did think the movie handled that really well, and it, it comes across as one of my uh, favorite moments of the movie, that kind of one-two uh-huh. punch of the, you know, shaming her on stage and then teaching her off stage. And right. um, I don't know. I re- th- yeah, that that's one thing I did take with me. I really did like that uh, that section. And maybe that, that should have been the heart of the movie. Maybe that should have been the centerpiece is <clears throat> the relationship with Dinah Washington and, you know, and, and how that informed her life. It's just the movie has so many of those now we're going to see how this person has informed her life. And now we're going to see. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I just, was, right. it just, everything started to, you know, feel like it was just, again, um, to, uh, to go with the metaphor of the other movie shadow, you know, with shadow puppets, it was, you know, mm-hmm. very paper thin. Um, so yeah. yeah. Uh, anything else you want to mention about respect? Talk about this movie. I think that's it. I, again, I, I'm hoping that there will be another opportunity and someone else will come back to Aretha and her story and, and find that juicy Mm -hmm. narrative that they can tell and spin and, and create something out of Yeah, this, uh, this should not be the only opportunity we get to see her story Mm -hmm. on screen. But, but I will say this until that film comes, for me, unfortunately, I will probably not go back to respect again, but I I so love Amazing Grace. And again, like I said, it ends with the idea of the taping of Amazing Grace. But that documentary has, in, in my mind, everything that I would have wanted from this film mm-hmm. in, you know, two hours. Yeah. You know, I, I love the performances, you know, you mentioned Titus as James Cleveland, mm-hmm. you know, as, as a kid growing up in the South who was aware of, you know, gospel music and performers, James Cleveland was one of those people that just was mesmerizing. So mm-hmm. yes, I, he's there, he's in it. You've got Aretha, you know, her father's there as well. Those elements are at play, but then you've also got for me, like Mick Jagger and the, and the Rolling Stones coming to one of those nights of that performance. And you see Mick like clapping and clapping off beat, but mm-hmm. he's just like, he doesn't even care. He's just like, Oh my God, <laughs> I'm just so happy to be here. And I don't care if I'm thing. on the ones and threes or the twos and fours. <laughs> right. He's just like, he's like, I'm here. And that's what I want out of an Aretha story. I want, I want that, inspiration and passion and that, Oh my God, I'm just glad to be here. And like I said, this film wasn't it, but there's a, there's someone out there who's going to be able to tell her story and you're going to be like, wow, I'm, I'm just glad to be here. I'm glad to be watching this. So I'm waiting for that time to come. Yeah. I will wait with you. I'm excited for it uh, possibly to happen too. Um, all right. Before we head on to the best ever challenge, uh, just a reminder that you can support what goes on at Sif pop. At uh, Patreon, it's patreon.com slash SIFPOP. You can become a SIFPOP member. You get all sorts of fun stuff uh, at the different levels. One of the levels, you get bonus podcasts every week. TT and I recorded some conversation on Jordan Peele's career as a producer and actor and comedian and writer and all those kind of things. Um, And so if you're interested in hearing that, uh, please feel free to go over to patreon.com slash SIFPOP. Check out all the different levels and whatever you decide, whether you can support or not, please know you are appreciated and loved and uh, and we thank you very much. So check that out again at patreon.com slash SIFPOP. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. 
by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we're going to move on to the best ever challenge, best ever Wayans family movies. Any movie that a member of the Wayans family has been in will count. We will go from number five to number one. Um, let's see. I think I can start us off here All right. with my number five. Uh, my number five, by the way, I don't know if you had the same experiences. You're kind of looking up and finding these you know, different movies that they've been in. They have been in some good movies. They have been in a lot of really bad movies, too. <laughs> yes, they have. So there is that element of limited choice, but not too limited. Uh, but I say all that to say that this is not like show-stopping, Oscar-winning material, but I have a soft spot in my heart uh, for The Last Action Hero. Um, I, think, I think what I love about this movie is the meta-ness of it. I have this thing for, you know, movies about movies that are, uh, you know, there's there's this really great g- gag in the video store of, you know, that brings up the Stallone-Schwarzenegger, you know, rivalry kind of thing. Like, oh. that kind of stuff is, it's just, it, you know, it's it's milk. You know, it's just, it's 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 this beautiful thing that I need in my day, day-to-day life. So, uh yeah, Last Action Hero is is my number five. I I definitely enjoy that one. So <clears throat> wow, well, <laughs> not one of your we, favorites. No, we start <laughs> off in the exact same spot. Really, I I I actually had Last Action Hero because again, you've got you know Damon in there. Mm-hmm. But what I love about it, besides the meta-ness of it, I like the idea that it it sort of sets up this notion of how we can see Damon as kind of the the partner slash sidekick for you know a film like this and then he can he he does it again in bulletproof a few years mm-hmm. later with yeah. adam sandler so yeah i i have a soft spot for both of those films just because yeah it, it, it's not great cinema but it's just a good time and there's mm-hmm. there's there, there's some fun laughs and the films are comfortable enough to a certain extent poking fun at themselves yeah and their genres as well. So it's like, if you can do that, that goes a long way for me. Yeah. Uh, so it's your number five as well? Yes. All right. Well, then I will go on to my number four. Um, this is where I had uh, The Lady Killers. Now, 
in- interestingly enough, this is one of the Coens, like, I think, you know, least favored movies uh, uh, amongst most people. And I just had a good time with it. I think one of the one of the things I love is, man, you just don't get to see Tom Hanks do stuff like this. You know what I mean? Like, he's, right. he's doing something completely different here. And, um, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, so, yeah, Lady Killers is... Is always been I I love the Cohen brothers. It's not my favorite mm-hmm. Cohen brothers, but I've always liked it more than most people do uh, who enjoy the Cohen brothers. So um, I thought that I would put that in as my number four. Um, okay. Any thoughts on the Lady Killers? I'm I'm impressed because yeah, you you did a deeper dive than I did. On that. <laughs> <laughs> I I I saw this on the list and I was kind of like, oh yeah. But it was it was one of those that I could I could skip over because again it, I I fall in line I'm probably not as big a fan of this particular Coen Brothers film sure yeah so it was like okay yeah there's a weigh-ins in there but it's like okay yeah whatever I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose my lose any sleep over 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 kind of skipping that one sure. and again yeah totally hearing hearing you talk about it now I'm kind of like well yeah maybe I do need to give that one another chance I'm I'm. I'm game for that. I think it's worth revisiting. I really do. I there are some interesting movies that come just at times when for whatever whether it be just the cultural consciousness, whatever it is, they just don't quite, you know, resonate or vibe mm-hmm. with whatever's going on then. But um but yeah, I think if you go back and watch this, um you'll be pleasantly surprised at the humor and some of the plot turns and, you know, just some of the way some of that stuff is handled. I mean, look, the Coen brothers know what they're doing, you know, even in, even in their worst movies, they, they're making really interesting, fun choices. So, yeah. So yeah, Yeah. that's my number four. What do you got at number four? Yeah. My number four, I'm going with Keenan, uh, as a director. Okay. With scary movie. Yeah. 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 Scary movie for me. And again, it's because, I mean, there were a number of these films that, that came out, the the first one is easily the best of yes. the bunch, even though I love yes. the idea that somewhere in there in some of those later films, it was kind of like, okay, well, we don't just have to stick with, you know, one particular film. We can branch out. We can explore some other horror films and play around with some of the jokes and the dynamics of those. But yeah, as, as a starting point, this does a lot. You have, Obviously, a couple of Marlon, you know, a couple of weigh-ins family mm-hmm. members in front of the camera. But I, I focused on this because it's Keenan behind the camera. It's mm-hmm. it's his comedy roots, you know, that's that that are part of this, and he's he's playing around with genre and doing some goofy stuff with it. Um, like I said, yeah, it's no it's no great shakes in terms of cinema, but it's it's good goofy fun, and sometimes the goofiness is is necessary like you know i the 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 highbrow laughs can can be great and and you know and they have their place but yeah there are moments when i just want to sit back and just laugh my ass off at really dumb stuff yeah and scary movie gives you enough of the dumb stuff to let you know that sometimes dumb humor you know there's there's actually even a way to elevate some of the dumbest of dumb Mm -hmm. humor and, and i think this film does that I agree. Um, I definitely had it in my honorable mentions. Uh, it is. I. I. I think it's the only good scary movie. I don't think any of the sequels mm-hmm. are, are very good. Um, but there's enough that lands here for me that that I would consider this worth mentioning. Um, so yeah, and you know what? Modern parodies uh, like have not been great. Uh, you know, um, 
since kind of the Abrams Zucker heyday, parodies have just kind of been, uh, you know, really, really uh, I'm, lazy is, is such a, a pejorative word, but mm-hmm. they're just they're, they're not a full understanding of how the uh, almost the authenticity of parody is what makes it funny. You know, it's it's not just that you are imitating something that happened in another movie and putting a, you know, quote unquote, funny spin on it. You're actually playing the movie as if it's serious. And, you know, that's what makes Naked Gun so great is that it feels like everybody in the movie thinks they're in an actual, you know, uh, cop movie. And so, yeah, so it's just a lot of modern parodies have have completely missed that in a way that parody movie making is almost dead. Right. Like, I mean, you think of the heyday with Mel Brooks and, and Abrams and Zucker and all that. And now, like, you know, when's the last parody movie of any kind of real you know, import that we've seen and, you know, maybe they just look a little different today. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's a whole other conversation, but I think you're right. Like I, I'm not sure that I could even begin to kind of guess what, what's really following along those lines. And, Mm -hmm. and and I'm, and scary movie isn't following along in those lines either. Yeah. So yeah, that's fast. That's a fascinating We've kind of traded. We've kind of traded the uh, the tone of parody is now almost like heavy satire. Or mm-hmm. um, I'm thinking of like Deadpool. Like Deadpool isn't technically yeah. a parody movie, but it's that kind of over the top, uh, mm-hmm. winking, fourth wall breaking, you know, kind of humor. Um, right. Imitation wise, you could look at like the Cornetto trilogy, like Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. But those aren't really parodies; they're homages, no. um, and they're yeah. great movies in their own right. Uh, so, um, so yeah, we've kind of traded parody for you know more over the top satire, like Borat. Even is almost kind of mm-hmm. that that uh, tone. So yeah, um, yeah. So yeah. Anyhow, I think that's a good choice. Scary movie is a good choice. Um, okay. All right, we'll move on to our number threes. Uh, I have Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar uh, at my number three. I really had a great time with this movie. Um, I enjoy uh, not just the humor, but the ridiculousness of it. This is kind of one of those movies that falls into that over-the-top kind of t- comedy tone that we're talking about that's a little winky-winky, fourth-wall-breaky. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah, I, I think it's, it's really fun, really good. I laughed a lot. Um, you know, seagull on a tire. Do you hear my prayer? Like, I mean, how, how do you get be- much better than that in modern cinema? Um, so some just great, great songs and really funny stuff in Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. So that is my number three. Wow. Well, you know what? You have now given me something that I need to check out. Oh, you haven't seen Barb and because- Star. This was one that kind of slipped under the radar for me. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to take the recommendation now. Nice. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Ex- I'm excited for you. Uh, I I have seen this movie three times now. Um, Ooh, I, that's, that's even better. That's a, that's a, that's a strong recommendation <laughs> right there. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, it, is, it is one of those movies that is an instant cult classic, right? Like the first time okay. you watch it, you just go, oh. This movie is imminently quotable. Um, I'm going to be thinking about certain scenes and hilarity, uh, you know, th- you know, off and on. So I, I saw it the, the one time to review it. 
really, really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. And then I've just, I've had to show it to friends. I'm like, okay, we're watching Barb and Star. And so, you know, I've seen it a couple more times and it's, it's a riot. So I hope you enjoy it. All I hope right. you have a good time with it. I'll, I'll, I will definitely let you know. Oh, good. All right. Good. Uh, what do you got at number three? <clears throat> All right. For me, number three, I'm going with Marlon. And I, I noticed I developed a little trend for myself here. The year 2000 was apparently a big year for the Wayans family. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Um, because scary movie came out in 2000 and Requiem for a dream (laughs) came out in 2000. I had this in my honorable mentions, but I just, I have a hard time saying I like this movie. It is so hard to watch. Uh, it is, yeah, it is incredibly hard to watch. And again, it is a film that is focused on the idea of addiction Mm -hmm. and the power of addiction that, and then the hold that it has on all of the characters in the film is, just gripping and disturbing. And yes, you're right. I, you know, it's one of those films to be quite honest, I don't think I've seen since 2000, but that doesn't mean that it didn't somehow grab and take hold of some little piece of my soul in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, for, for Marlon in this, it was one of those moments where it was like, Oh my God, like to imagine you know, we talked about Jordan Peele moving throughout his career and what he's been able to do. To a certain extent, I'm kind of like, well, yeah, if you're a Wayans who, you know, you you and your entire family are known for this, this your work in a particular genre, mm-hmm. and for you to say, I'm going to completely leave all of that behind, and someone's going to give me the chance to do something, something this different, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the fear factor involved in that had to be so high. Yeah. Like who, you know, yeah. Aronofsky is going to like pick me for a film and I'm, and I'm in my head, I'm going to have to imagine that I can't fail. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't fall in this. And not only does he not fail, I mean, it's, it's relevatory in a way to see him do something so different and, to immerse himself in that world. And it's kind of like, I remember walking away from that thinking, wow, I want to see him do more of this. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately we never really got the, you know, we never got the opportunity to see him flex these muscles. But Mm -hmm. again, it's, it's, it is definitely a muscle muscle flexing kind of performance and role um, that it just, yeah, it did. It completely captivated me. Yeah, no, I, Totally get it. Uh, Requiem for a Dream is an experience for sure. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, some movies that's, you know, are worthwhile, even though they're difficult. And mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, that that's true of Requiem for a Dream. Uh, all right. On to our number twos. Uh, I have Beverly Hills Cop at, uh, at number two. Um I have just recently started revisiting and for the first time visiting some of them, uh, some of the the Eddie Murphy classic comedies that I hadn't seen in a while. And so I I saw Beverly Hills Cop just earlier this year. Of all the ones I've revisited, I think he is most charismatic and radiant in this movie. I think Beverly Hills Cop is the one. If you if you had to just pick one Eddie Murphy performance and go, this is why he is so beloved. I think I picked Beverly Hills Cop. Um, I just think he is—he is just lightning on the screen in this movie, and it's just—it's um, amazing to watch. Uh, and the movie itself is, you know, what it is. It has, you know, a, a lot of the um, 
a lot of similar problematic things that many movies of that era have. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's not exactly an evolved understanding of police work and, you know, those kind of dynamics, but it is, um, if nothing else, a captivating, compelling, and hilarious movie. Uh, so, yeah, I wanted to mention Beverly Hills Cop. It definitely is. And this is going to feel like a completely unrelated tangent, but since you're going back and you're looking at these films, I'm not sure if you've seen how many times you've seen the second one. Uh, but I just I would, once, and it's been a long time. That's, in, that's one that's ooh, coming up on my list. You should rewatch it, and there's a challenge. And I don't know if you want to use this as a drinking challenge while you watch <laughs> it or or what, but I can remember I was a senior in, in high school when part two came out, and I didn't have finals that year, and most of my friends didn't either. So for exam week, we literally left campus every single day and went to the movies and we watched Beverly Hills Cop 2. There are at least 40 continuity errors in that film. <laughs> yeah. I know because we spent an entire week watching it and we counted them all. Nice. And it's it's it was fabulous to me in a way because I was kind of like, wow, like that's the first time I really paid attention to the idea that there's all this this stuff that goes into making films that you need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And and obviously the people working on this film either didn't pay attention to it, didn't care to pay attention to it, or they were just kind of like, well, no one else is going to pay. No one else is going to pay attention to this stuff. Right. But there were like six guys that I knew that we did. Yeah. We paid complete attention to it. And it was it was fascinating, like I said, because it's it, it leads you down a rabbit hole. Like you'll find the first couple and you're gonna be like, well, wait a minute, are there more? And that was what that was what inspired us. We were like, well, wait a minute, there are probably more if we caught these first couple. And like I said, by the time it was over, I think we came up with like thirty-five or forty. Um just yeah, just something to think about when you when you decide to revisit that. It is interesting to revisit movies before the VHS era, you know, movies that, um, you know, uh, for a long, long time didn't have to worry about the idea that somebody could pause on a screen and read the newspaper that they were holding or, you know what I mean? Like it's so it's, it's funny. You, there's almost like a demarcation right around the early 80s where it, it's just like before that movies could get away with so much that they didn't you know think about those things and then through the 80s early 90s movies started to have to reckon with this idea that oh people are gonna you know <laughs> notice this <laughs> right yeah so, so and yeah. that's hilarious because yeah we were again in 87 like i said that was for us we weren't even watching it on Right. You know, VHS or anything else. It, for us, it was just, oh my God, like we'll go pay Matt Nate yeah, price. Right. We'll go watch it every day. Go see yeah. and figure this out. And so, That's like, to, to dive into it in that way. So, yeah, it's it just, I, I think it also just says something about us. We were just complete geeks. But, yeah. you know what? That's all right, too. That is absolutely. Uh, what's your number two? My number two is Bamboozled. Yeah. Um, and in much the same way, it is not as troubling to watch as Requiem for a Dream, but I just can't get over the idea that you're taking a film that is <sighs> satirical at times mm -hmm. and playing off of the social commentary. And yet, you know, Damon is basically the straight man largely in this mm -hmm. story. Um, and the fact that he's able to kind of hold the center while everything else around him is 
kind of going in these surreal places and sometimes dark elements and places as well, but he's able to kind of steer his way through it. And again, it's one of those fascinating notions that again, it's, it's a way in working with Spike Lee in this mm -hmm. case. So again, yeah. they're, they're breaking away from the family, working with different people and taking real risks that you would kind of think, well, what was the, what was the point of taking that kind of risk? And mm -hmm. as I pointed out, it's my third film from the year 2000. So again, the 2000, that was the was, year, man, was, it was the year for the Wayans. It really was. You get, you get goofy Wayans films and then you get dark, serious Wayans films. And then you get this, which I'm not sure exactly even where this one falls on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a fascinating spectrum when you look at those three films together. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it does. It's uh, yeah. Spike it's, knows exactly it's a great what place. Spike knows exactly what he's doing with this and the satirical edges uh, on this. And it is, um, I mean, it's to be honest, it's uncomfortable even having the poster up. Like it's just like it's mm -hmm. one. It's one of those things where Spike is is saying, "No, look at this." you know look at what this is and um and i think that's valuable it's it's so important uh to be able to go because there is there's there there is this um it's not really a tightrope but the, there is this balancing between uh you know not repeating history and evolving and learning how to get better and not do things and erasing history right like to the point right. where you forget about it and you repeat, you know, the mistakes that people have made in the past. You know what I mean? So there is something mm -hmm. really important about elevating our faults, our failures, our cultural sins and going, no, look at it. Look at it closely. Let's really look. Be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Be uncomfortable with this because that is the memory that we, you know, we need to have to evolve and move forward. And, you know, bamboozled is is certainly doing a lot of that and uh yeah i think it's it's yeah. definitely worth mentioning um all right to our number ones my number one movie featuring Owens is big hero six um i really enjoy this movie and it kind of in that in that new disney animated line not pixar because this is not a pixar movie this is mm -hmm. you know disney animation <laughs> Right. This is one for me that's kind of, I think, fallen under the radar a little bit. But man, Baymax is just one of my favorite characters ever to exist in the movie. I love mm -hmm. how cuddly and adorable he is. Um, I love the relationship he has, uh, you know, with the, with the character in this movie. I just everything about this to me is beautiful and visually stunning and and uh and emotional it's got a really great uh you know familial through line and uh and thematics here that i i just i really really like uh so yeah big hero six is uh is one of my favorites and so i thought i'd mention that yeah i love the idea that you're right this is one of those films that does kind of fall under the radar mm -hmm. um yeah. in terms of an animation and where it falls within that disney pixar line and yeah i this is another one that, again, I remember seeing it when it came out, but this is one that I feel like I need to revisit um, because it feels like there there are probably things that I didn't pay as much attention to the first time. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, even thinking about the notion of what I may have even said or written about this film when it came out, um, 
I feel like I may have missed, you know, missed the mm-hmm. boat on this. So it'd be fun to go back and reevaluate it now. Um, yeah. And to be quite honest, it's one of those things that I haven't done that much of. And I think that's, I'm at the stage now where it's probably time to, to crack open some of the old reviews and some films and, and, and take mm-hmm. a second sure. look at them and really talk about the process of looking back at it again. Um, and yeah, this is easily one of the, would be an exciting place to start. Nice. Uh, what do yeah. you got at number one? <clears throat> Keenan at the very beginning, I'm going to get you sucker. Yeah. This was again, one of those eighties films that I, I remember hanging out with my buddies and maybe not during the time that it came out, but this is definitely one that we watched on video seemingly endlessly. Um, you know, the guys that I grew up with in North Carolina, we were all big movie geeks. We were there sort of at the advent of, of cable. And, you know, I remember my first buddy who had HBO and, you know, being able to watch films over at his house and we would all get together. And then when, as we transitioned to video, you know, the, the, the life was still there and the, the spirit of it was still there. And yeah, this was one of those films that we, we probably wore out a VH tape over. We just completely wore the tape out because yeah. we would get together and it would just be like, okay, well, is there anything else that you really want to watch? It's like, no, nah, we'll just watch this again. This um, is, and we did, we lived in this world. Yeah. This is a, this is a parody, right? This, uh, black exploitation, uh, parody. Mm-hmm. I've actually never seen this TT. Uh, I, oh I, I need to get it on my list. Um, I have seen scenes from it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of, uh, one of my favorite things I know is from this movie is the, um, how much for one rib uh, scene, <laughs> well, yeah. which is just such great comedy. Um, that's Chris yeah. Rock, right? Isn't that Chris Rock yeah. in that scene? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, yeah. So oh this, is, this is one of those, one of those movies I, I, I need to check out and uh, I should, I should get on my list for sure. Yeah. If you're a, if you're a fan of fishbone, which I was back in the day, uh, they are in a scene with Antonio Vargas, uh, where they play they play his his background musical band as he's walking down the street in a pair of pumps that have fish in the bottom in the in the heels. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it for me that scene is about as it's funny to rewatch as the Chris Rock mm-hmm. just one ribs. And yeah, it's it's got tons of moments like that that you're just like, oh my god, like what like that's what led us back to this again and again and again and i'm not one of those people who will quote films on the regular but i guarantee you if if in my head if there's a film that i can do that with this is it so you'll watch it you'll have a good time with it but i would almost say if you can make an experience of it invite friends over sit back and really get ready to have just a fabulous fun time like just that's what to to a certain extent that's what comedy is supposed to do for us and especially it brings people together you're gonna laugh at the jokes you're gonna miss them you're gonna want to watch it again to make sure that you catch the jokes this this is the film that that's all about yeah well there you go uh i'm gonna get you sucker uh at uh number one on your best ever challenge did you have any uh honorable mentions that you wanted to throw out there other ones you found that uh 
You know what? I didn't. I again, I feel like in, a, in most cases now, I'm kind of looking at your titles, and I'm like, wow, yeah. Somebody, <laughs> most of your titles for me would would have been honorable mentions, or at yeah. least, like I said, or at least films that I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, I need to go back and like pay, pay more attention to that. Some of the other ones that I thought were pretty okay, uh, I enjoyed The Heat um, decently mm. enough. I thought that was all right. Uh, the other guys, kind of another comedy in that uh, oh, yeah. in that range that is, it's okay. Um, mm-hmm. And then Roxanne, the Steve Martin, um, Ooh, Roxanne, Dan's yes. in that. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I thought that one was worth mentioning uh, as well. All right, let's move on to our buried treasure. Uh, TT, you are the guest, so you get to finish this off. So I'll start. Um, We're looking at that one thing in any area of pop culture that we want to make sure people know about. Uh, My buried treasure is, uh, again, I've been going back and revisiting slash watching for the first time uh, a lot of movies uh, from the 80s right now. I'm uh, in the 80s. I watched Blowout uh, recently. um, And... I, this is one of those movies that I really should have seen before now. I know it. It's been on my list Mm -hmm. of shame, but I just never have knocked it out. And I'm so glad I did. Uh, I absolutely love the, um, I love the technical audio nature of this movie. Um, You know, uh, Travolta's performance is really, really interesting. Um, So... Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff going on here. When's the last time you watched Blowout? You know, I'm going to have to say it was probably, I saw it uh, when I was in college. Um, took an English class where we looked at, you know, films of like the 70s and 80s. And it was mm-hmm. probably during that class. I was a sophomore, so we were probably looking at 1989, 1990, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Um and I loved talking about this film in that class. It was, this was, it's funny because I think of, I took a couple of these classes. I took a Hitchcock class and then this, this class that I'm talking about now that kind of opened me up to the idea. And it took me another 10 or 20 years to get there, but it was like, well, wait a minute, this is, this is what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. those conversations and the, and the opportunity to break film down and you're right. Some of the, the technical aspects of this film are just genius. And again, it's it's that's it's the point of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I again, I, I feel like I, I haven't revisited this one, but I can remember so vividly watching it for the, you know that last time in that class. It still still holds a lot of power for me. Yeah, and uh, you know, De Palma is uh, one of my weaknesses. Uh, when I say that, I mean mm-hmm. I haven't watched a, a lot of his movies until okay. now. Like I'm catching up on a lot of them, um, mm-hmm. primarily because my understanding was he was kind of a Hitchcock, you know, kind of yeah. guy. And uh, and the impression I got is that he, you know, was a Hitchcock imitator. Um, I think that's unfair. I I, I think he, mm-hmm. I mean, certainly he he plays in the same sandbox as Hitchcock does. Absolutely. Right. They're playing with the yeah. same themes, ideas, story turns, um, you know, he, he visuals, his, his camera work is astonishing in, in a lot of his movies. Um, but I think he's doing his own thing as well. He's definitely modernizing the Hitchcock aesthetic. Uh, he's doing some of his own, um, you know, ideas that, that I haven't seen Hitchcock do. So um, mm-hmm. I'm really glad I'm, I'm finally kind of visiting some of his stuff. This is the first, I'm kind of going chronological uh, with his stuff. 
this is the first of his that I like unabashedly say this is a great movie, right? Like some mm-hmm. of his movies you go, okay, there are great scenes. This is interesting. I like what right. the plot does here. Um, but then there's this other stuff where I'm just like, I don't quite get this. This is a little gross. This is a little weird. Um, mm-hmm. But Blowout is just a great movie. It's just a great yeah. movie. And, you know, I, we haven't mentioned John Lithgow uh, is in this. Uh, Dennis mm-hmm. Franz. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of worthwhile stuff here to check out. So yeah, blowout is, yeah, is my big yeah. treasure. And it's, it's the obsessions that I think that's the thing. Yes. I, and, and largely people have made that comparison with Hitchcock and has stopped with the idea that, okay, he, De Palma had very different obsessions mm-hmm. and, and was willing and able to, to follow them. And into some of those darker places than than Hitchcock mm-hmm. did, and yeah, I, I think there's there's a fearlessness in him that I'm not sure that I always get out of Hitchcock, and I'm a huge fan of Hitchcock, right? But yeah, but Brian De Palma definitely is, you know, unafraid of just putting all of his stuff up on the screen and letting you know that yeah, this is this is what this these are my kinks, this is what I care about, yeah, um, and. That's fascinating. I think we need more filmmakers who are willing to do that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, what do you got? What's your yeah. buried treasure? All right. I feel like I've re- I've come to recognize that when I do this with you, I focus on non-film based things, mm-hmm. sure. and it's usually it's usually music. And I'm I'm in a phase now where I'm trying to go back and rebuild my my iTunes library. So I've got tons of CDs that I'm I'm going back and 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 recreating the library and it's forced me to kind of pay attention to music now in different ways than I have over, over the last maybe five years or so. Um, but I, I fell down a, a YouTube rabbit hole during this phase and I came across James Blake, who I've, I've come to love as an artist. Um, he's singer, songwriter, producer, British guy who loves electronic music but mm-hmm. loves finding ways to explore it and expand it and remix it and break it up um and he has uh this is not his newest release i don't think but um you can see the the video for mile high on youtube it features travis scott and metro Boomin. um it's everything that you would expect from james blake in that it's got all of his weird quirks there's a great visual dynamic that that is part of the the storytelling in the video uh but what i love about it and again it refers back to part of our earlier conversation that are part of our earlier film conversations and that he has this great homage in there to get out from jordan peele mm. um he is as as the story of the video takes place he's meeting travis scott in a diner they're having a conversation and he's stirring his tea in his teacup and he goes into a sunken place and he spends the rest of the video in this sunken place as the lyrics and the, the, the song unfolds. And it is beautiful and weird that you're sitting here and you're thinking, I'm watching this, this British kid pretend that he's in the sunken place uh-huh. and, and, and it should feel like, weird cultural appropriation mm-hmm. but it doesn't because blake has established himself within sort of the musical world to such a degree that he can kind of move and flow 
and work with different artists and do different things. I mean, he was on the Black Panther soundtrack. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's been on. He was on. I think he was he was featured on one of the Lemonade tracks from from Beyonce. He's been all over the place and worked with all kinds of people. So all of a sudden, like I said, I'm watching this video with him in the sunken place, and I'm kind of like, yeah, he deserves to be <laughs> in the works. sunken place. It's yeah. all right. It completely <laughs> works. And and it's it and it's a great song on top of that. Like there's this beautiful kind of melding of his singing and 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 songwriting style with Travis Scott's you know flow. That there are moments where you can almost if you if you close your eyes and you're just listening to it, you don't know who's singing, who's rapping. There's this this great connection and merging of their voices and their styles. And yeah, it's it's what we need more of in music. We need these collaborations where people can can kind of come together and share and and kind of step into each other's shoes in a way that I find is missing in a lot of the other collaborative art forms that we have. So yeah, yeah this this one in particular is is a real highlight for me. Um, and I guarantee you, you watch it once, you'll you'll fall into it. You'll you'll watch it a couple more times because it's. It, it finds a way to to marry that idea of the sunken place and then these lyrics um, and they go together so well. Yeah. Just great. Yeah. Just great sound and sound and sound and vision coming together. So what should somebody search for on YouTube if they want to uh, find this video? What do you think the best search term would be? You know, you can just just search James Blake high, uh, Mile High. The, the song title is Mile High. Okay. And that'll that'll lead you right to it. And to be quite honest, if you if you start with this and then you watch some of the other earlier James Blake music videos, you'll see that what he's what he's doing with the idea of the sunken place. He was already kind of exploring his own version of the sunken place in some of his earlier videos. Yeah. So it's 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 a world that he lives in and he is very creative. in. Nice. Uh, so that's James Blake. You can look for the Mile High video on YouTube or Blowout, which is streaming on Criterion Channel uh, as well as Hoopla. If you have the uh, the library uh, card version of Hoopla, uh, we did it, TT. We did a podcast. Congratulations! All right. I feel so yes. much so much uh, a sense of accomplishment uh, that we managed to make this happen today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for Sif Pop today. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. I uh, want to send a shout out to Andrew, who couldn't be with us today. Uh, always appreciate him. Uh, huge thanks to producer Phil, who produces the video and audio show. Uh, thank you to Drew, who does the visuals uh, for what goes on here uh, on Sif Pop Live. And uh, thank you to TT for coming by and hanging out with us and chatting movies. Uh, TT, where do you want to send people? What do you want to tell them about? Uh, feel free to plug anything you like. Yeah, you know, I'm easy. If, you, if you're interested and you loved what we did here, you can go to my archives at uh, terrencetodd.com. Uh, that has most of everything that I've done. And um, it's a great place to kind of start if you're curious about my oddball kind of takes on things that's the place where you'll find more of those oddball takes nice terrence todd.com is yes. uh, where you would go for that uh much love and gratitude to our sif pop members for giving monthly to make sif pop a real thing support starts at three dollars a month 
Uh, you can check out all the different levels and the different bonuses, like the bonus episodes, the monthly video hangouts, some other fun perks. Uh, all that is at patreon.com slash sifpop. Thank you for just checking that out. Uh, lots of ways to connect with us. Uh, you can leave a comment or a rating or a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can also send any feedback to feedback at siftpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like it too, so let them know about it and that listing is much easier than installing a hook for a hand with no medical equipment or training. Uh, we will be back next week with uh, Shang-Chi and Worth, I think are the two movies we'll be talking about then. And we will see you all then. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.